0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all right, around in the breeze, well, it's all right, if you live the
1: life you please, well, it's Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today on this fine day to take your dog for a walk, maybe even just hold still For an extra minute or so, let him or her smell. That is their primary sense, after all. Uh, It's getting warmer out.
2: It is, indeed. You might want a poncho for you and the dog if you're going out.
1: Well, we are based in Seattle. (laughs) That's true. We do have a national and international audience, but every show is done in the fine city of Seattle, and we do certainly get our fair share of water. So, um, gosh just lots to talk about. Um, in general, it just I it keeps blowing me away how much there is. This is episode number 423. Wow. <laughs> I know. That actually kind of, you know, over 400 kind of like, kind of hits me when I say it. It's like, oh, wow, that's that's a lot. Um and there's more to talk about. So, something that I have um I pulled an interview and I'm going to um Connect with um, Frank McMillan again, uh, maybe this year, and catch up because I uh, when I was talking with Patricia McConnell recently on the show, she mentioned him and his work on um, trauma and PTSD in dogs. And when she mentioned his name, I remembered I interviewed him back in two thousand eleven. So he he did a study that at the time was was just released on uh, PTSD in dogs who are breeding dogs in puppy mills Um, so these are dogs in um, you know can be kept and often are kept in just really terrible conditions Um, you know have never walked on grass before just spend their whole life in a cage and they just breed 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 and you know it's it's pretty nasty and uh, some of the these dogs do end up getting um, adopted out once they are done as breeding dogs. And, um, and I've actually worked with a few over the years, and I talk about one of those cases um, in this interview. Um, but also, it, I just wanted to talk and speak to, um, you know, dogs' experience of trauma in general and how, it, how that can impact them um, you know, usually more in the conversation of somebody who's maybe adopting a dog from a, a rescue situation or shelter um, you know, not as much with you know you get an eight week old puppy from a breeder uh you know who's not a puppy mill, a responsible breeder those dogs you know usually you don't end up with a dog puppy that has experienced trauma, so more so in the in the context of adopting a dog and and, you know, I, I see how dogs are, you know, they're in a new home and they've got owners who are really wanting to give them the best life that they can and, and understand them. And, but they've, you know, in a lot of cases have some really challenging behaviors. I'm thinking of a dog that I just worked with a few weeks ago and um, his family is really challenged by his behavior out when, when he's out and about on leash around other dogs, which is, I mean, that is one of the most common things that we work with uh, as far as dog training and behavior challenges go. That is one that is just a lot of people struggle with that for different reasons. Sometimes it can be frustration-based. In this case, this was a, is a little dog and he was a stray. And he, when he sees another dog on leash, and there was an incident where there was a, a neighbor dog that got out of the front door and and was charging them. So this other dog was off leash charging this little guy who's on leash and he was um, just lost it. I mean he he ended up biting um, one of uh, a person's arm that just sort of got in the way and you know this dog's experience of that is like okay I've you know I've got to fight for my life right now probably and he was stray so he's you know we could would make sense to think about that he would feel really vulnerable especially if he's being charged by another dog that it would just kind of make him see red and and just be blinded by fear and that to me is trauma i mean that's a dog who's experienced you know a level of trauma he's now 4 years old i think and so they've just newly adopted him and he's not had an easy life and he's got some challenges that he's come with that are a result of past experience. And, um, you know, we did, I, you know, did some base, basic work, worked on engaging his brain and building his confidence and all that. And then also just, you know, for a while, as long as he needs it, to just really try not to put him in that situation. Because as we're trying to get him to change his opinion about certain things and and what things mean, I mean, that's a tall order. Think about, Humans with PTSD, for example, you can't just train them quickly to feel a different way about something that has traumatized them. You know, it's a nervous system thing. So um, it's just something to really appreciate that it's not, uh, you know, dogs have a a depth uh, of experience in terms of emotion. You know, gosh, it makes me think about that we're still, you know, Doing lab laboratory testing and and cosmetics testing and chemical testing on animals, you know how are we still doing this? It's like kind of like torture. Beagle Freedom Project is a fantastic organization that's doing some really powerful work around that. Um, but it's just something we need to think about and appreciate in dogs that that they can experience trauma. I, dogs can, and as in my interview coming up here. Um, you know, the study was about PTSD in dogs and kind of looking at them in that way. <clears throat> and in appreciating that, helping, you know, having that information to help us come up with a plan to help work them out of that as, as best we can. And, and the main thing with that is to just understand that it's going to take time, just like it does with a human. So be patient and be, be consistent and be committed. And you'll see oftentimes some really beautiful results but it takes time. So with that, I'm going to move on to our uh, my interview from 2011 with Dr. Frank McMillan with Best Friends Society and his research on PTSD and dogs. We've got a, a very important show today. Um, with us today is Dr. Frank McMillan with Best Friends Animal Society. And we're talking about um, puppy mill survivors or puppy mill breeding dogs specifically. So let's uh, let's start talking with Dr. Frank McMillan. Hi, Dr. Frank.
0: Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, so, you know, I've got the uh, notification about the work that you've been doing, and it uh, sounds like you've just completed research on a very important study.
0: Yeah, what we did... Um... Is I, When I came to Best Friends here uh, about four years ago, um, I, I started asking myself some questions that we had suspected, and that is the dogs that get out of puppy mills, and I guess I should back up and explain the, the issue of puppy mills themselves. Yes. There are- as most people are aware, there's large breeding facilities for dogs. Um, these uh, They're mainly in the Midwest, but they're pretty much all over the world, literally. Mm-hmm. And it's where a lot of dogs, um, and and the lot is not real well-defined, but usually anywhere from dozens to thousands of dogs are kept confined in small enclosures, cages, and small runs for their entire breeding life, and all they do is reproduce and produced uh, puppies that are then shipped off uh, and trucked to, at least from all the United States breeding facilities, to all North American pet stores. And it's thought that the pet store's uh, supply of uh, puppies is about 99% from these large breeding facilities that we call puppy mills. Now, of course, the people running these places don't call themselves puppy mills, uh, because it is a negative term. But Anyway, so the dogs spend uh, their entire life there, and the puppies get out uh, early. They don't get out unscathed, which is the point of our next study that we just finished and submitted for publication. Uh, But the the ones that do get out as adults, they get out in a few ways. Sometimes the puppy mills are closed down for legal reasons. Others is that the puppy mill operators decide to get out of the business on their own. Others decide, I'm not going to breed this breed anymore. I'm going to switch over so I want to sell off or give away all the dogs I have of this breed. Mm-hmm. In one, case, one way or another, they, they they will often, not often enough, but often get out, and the, uh, 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 a rescue group will help place them in homes, in adoptive homes. And we had known for some time that they had shown unusual behavior and had difficulties in some cases. So we decided to undertake a study and look at exactly what is the harm done Psychologically to these dogs uh and and showing it when they get out and what we uh, and, and I teamed up by the way with a couple of professor buddy colleagues of mine at the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, we uh, solicited people that had adopted these dogs we came, We ended up uh, having About 1,169 dogs um, in the study, and what we found is, uh, as a group, now I should point out that that, that just like people coming back from warfare or something like that, some look perfectly fine and are fine. Others are incredibly scarred, and that's what we found in this group of dogs, that across the board, uh, as a group, their fear levels were sky high. They were just uh, living in fear of everything from people to uh, events like noises mm-hmm. and and movements uh, to um, to interestingly enough, other dogs they were more fearful of other dogs than typical pet dogs are, mm-hmm. and that the reason I say it 's unusual is that they 're kept in confinement almost always in groups, so you expect them to be highly socialized. But what appears to be happening is that by being uh, confined and literally not having any escape when things get tense or conflict develops, that they come out more fearful of other dogs than your typical dogs do. So they they come out with that uh, and many other things, like they're not well house-trained for obvious reasons. They never had to hold it. They go on this wire floor, um, and they come out with uh, uh, quite a few difficulties that um, – Very often they'll overcome, very often they'll partially overcome, and some of them will struggle long-term, again, just like psychologically traumatized people do. Um, But having said all that, let me also point out that we did a follow-up study, which isn't part of the published study, to look at how people that adopted these dogs perceive their experience of having adopted them what we found was that um, when we asked how satisfied uh, are you with having adopted this dog with the problems you've encountered, we found uh, 92% said extremely satisfied, another 7% said moderately, only 1% said not satisfied. And then when we asked a similar question, would you do it again if you had the opportunity to adopt a puppy mill dog, considering all the problems? And that was a 95% yes. So the, the the rewards of, of adopting these dogs can be huge, but you do have to have a special uh, mindset to take in a, a dog and work with them with their problems. Yeah. It's not for everybody.
1: And let me make a distinction here because there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of information that you've covered. Um, the The distinction, first of all, between a a puppy from a puppy mill. What we're talking about is the adult often adult dogs that have been the breeder dogs at puppy mills. So these are not the puppies that you find in pet stores. And we've done shows about this topic as well, specifically, Um, you know, the the challenges that people can find adopting a puppy from a puppy mill. We're talking about the adult dogs that have basically been imprisoned in these often very large scale facilities. And I want to paint the picture Dr. Frank, a little bit more about what these conditions are actually like. And that a lot of, and I think one of the things in your study is that you found that these um, impacts you found um, even in puppy mills that are, you know, USDA approved or whatever, which to me doesn't mean much. Um, that that these dogs actually live in cages and, and a lot of the times have never even ever in their life walked on grass. They don't have clean water. Their food is moldy. They have no interaction with people or the interaction that they have with humans is not um, enjoyable. They don't have their medical needs met. They are just being used as reproductive vessels to mass produce puppies to feed the pet stores, and it's just not okay, especially considering that 4 million dogs a year are euthanized in the shelter systems because they have nowhere to go.
0: Yeah, Julie, thanks for making the distinction. It is important to, to know that we the study we just published was on the breeding dogs that get rescued out of the puppy mills. And as I mentioned, we just finished the study of dogs that have been sold through pet stores, comparing them mm-hmm. to non-pet store dogs. Mm-hmm. And it's, a two, it's two different groups, but they do show in some cases some similar problems. But yeah, you're right about the conditions in the mills. The, the puppy mills, have a variable um, uh, uh, quality in terms of how well-kept the animals are, whether they do have clean water. Some are disgusting and don't have water at all, much less moldy. Others are kept well-watered and even, for that matter, well-fed. The problem is, is that all USDA regulations and every state regulation, for which only 33 states have their own state regulations, they have never been uh, written to the current knowledge that we have about emotional needs in dogs, mm-hmm. and therefore meeting every single requirement. And when pet stores uh, brag about uh, this is a USDA licensed and inspected, blah, blah, blah. Um, first of all, last year a report came out and said how poor the inspections right. are when they're done. Right. But even when they're done perfectly, it's not enough. The dogs are still deprived of human companionship, which domestic dogs are thriving for emotionally. They have a strong emotional need, and of course they suffer without that. So even those shiny, sparkly, clean uh, breeding facilities are still psychologically damage the dogs.
1: Well, and why do we need mass production of dogs anyway when overpopulation is probably one of the biggest problems that we face when we talk about dogs in society? I mean, they just... Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously because they make money, which is why they exist, but... Uh, they just shouldn't exist in the first place, so I don't even ideally want to be having a conversation about regulations. I just want right. them to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so we've uh, you know, I'm definitely interested to hear more about the specifics in what you did find in your study when we're talking about the psychological trauma that uh, these dogs show as a result of this life as a puppy mill breeding dog. Um, So we're gonna take a quick break, Dr. Frank, but we're gonna come back and talk more about the results of your study. So we're talking today with Dr. Frank McMillan with Best Friends Animal Society. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150.
0: This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Missing Link Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, April 9th, it's a Best Sunday with Dr. Nels Rasmussen in the studio. Dr. Nels can help with emotional, behavioral, or physical problems. He can test for allergies, drug, or supplement compatibility and dosages for you or your animal friends. Call us for a free remote session. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150.
1: Host at DogRadioShow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioShow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs
2: can use Skype? We're really living <laughs> in the future. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.
1: Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And we're back today talking with Dr. Frank McMillan with Best Friends Animal Society about a study that was just recently published, um, um, research that they did. Uh, Dr. Frank McMillan was the lead researcher of this study where they um, studied a a large group of breeding dogs from from puppy mills and uh, studied actually the psychological harm that these animals show. Um, so, welcome back, Dr. Frank.
0: Thank you, Julie.
1: So, tell us. A, so, you had a sample of about a, uh, more than eleven hundred dogs, and you found these dogs. So, were these dogs that that were had had been adopted, and so you were able to contact the humans uh, of of these dogs who had adopted these breeding dogs?
0: Right. The way we did that is we contacted all the groups that we are aware of that handle uh, the placement of dogs that have come out of puppy mills, mm-hmm. and then we asked them uh, to help us with the study and send out a notification of the study to all the people they had adopted puppy mill dogs to. And so those are the people that ultimately emailed me, and I gave them the link to the questionnaire that we used, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that's how we got all the responses.
1: Okay. And so tell us a little bit more in detail about what you actually found um, if in your study and in your research and how these results compare to, you know, your average dog or, or a more quote unquote normal dog.
0: Sure. The, um, in addition to the things I mentioned already, the fear levels. Uh, we found actually that aggression levels were decreased. Now that sounds uh, on the surface like a good thing, but the problem is is that it appears that their fear, or I'm sorry, the the aggression is decreased because they're so overwhelmed by the fear. They don't just react like a normal dog of striking out to bite or something like that. So it's certainly good that they don't have uh, higher aggression levels, but it's based on a bad reason for being that way.
1: Like they're shut, like they're kind of shut down or disassociated Uh or something. Right, they're so
0: withdrawn. uh, A normal dog will have a fight or flight response. These dogs are their their fight response is minuscule and their flight is very high, and so they're pretty much overwhelmed by it. Now, another interesting thing we found is that they're very sensitive to being touched, Mm. and this means just simply being touched, but uh, more often people notice it when they try to hold, hug, pick up the dogs and what's happened there of course is they've had no experience with that so Although we judge that as a very comforting move just as our part of our nature, it's an absolute terror for them, Uh, and and again, we're not talking everyone, but but many of them, when they come out of the rescued uh, puppy mill and people try to just love them to death, it's really, really scary because they have never had that happen, and so a lot of these dogs will be very fearful of being touched, picked up, or held, and a lot of them will overcome It, but some will carry on that for even a lifetime to where they just don't want to be picked up um, and uh, and people you know come to accept that. They know mm-hmm. they've been through a very hard time. Yeah. We also found that a lot of them will show odd uh, mental functions, uh, the most dramatic being that very often they will just stare off into space and just have this absolute blank, vacant look on their face. Um, and it's not constant, but it's frequent. And, of course, you don't see that in normal dogs. Uh, and it's just something that uh, that people tend to uh, relate a lot to autism. They use that analogy a lot just for the fact that there's there's clearly something inside that mind, but it's not perceiving or interacting the way it normally would. So yeah. that's something that's really um, uh, troubling. Yeah. Uh, we found that a lot of them won't play um and that's no surprise because they don't get to play in the puppy mills they're never given toys they're never given enrichment you yourself mentioned they've never been on grass and so they, they when they put when they're put on grass as i'm sure you've seen they they act like they're on some kind of weird uh, uh, broken glass or or, or mm. uh, icy thing to where they, they keep picking up their paws, and it takes them quite a while to even get used to just grass, which we take for g- granted. That's right. what dogs want to be on. So a lot of those things, um, and we found that about half of them show a preference uh, based on the sex of the person who's interacting with them, and of that half, 90% of those uh, like women, a much more than men. Some are very afraid of men. um, And about 10% of that half show a preference towards men and are more afraid of women. Um, And these are all really helpful things for when we're placing the animals because now we can give them absolute numbers on the likelihood that this dog will do this, that, or the other, and that way we won't get a call in six months and say, this is a total failure. My dog won't, for example, uh, I didn't mention this, but very often they won't make eye contact. So if people perceive that as rejection, then they're going to look at the whole thing as failing when, in fact, these dogs literally are wired differently. You can't expect all the interactions to be normal interactions. And therefore, it may not be a failed adoption. It's just that to that particular dog is having that particular struggle. So we've learned a lot on how we can prepare people ahead of time of what they might see and what the chances of overcoming that will be. And 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 by all means, the best ways to help them do that.
1: Yeah. And this is an important thing to, you know, speak of, not just in, I mean, it brings up an important point, And I've talked about this before, for people who are looking not necessarily for a, a puppy mill rescue a breeding dog but just any sort of puppy because the, the problems that you've seen in your in your research are a result of the, the like you said the wiring and this is because I mean I'm assuming that most of these breeding dogs are sort of born into the puppy mill environment so this This isn't a a dog that has come from, you know, a good breeder who has sold their, you know, one of their top dogs to be a puppy mill breeding dog. I mean, these are dogs that are bred within the system. And so we're talking about puppies that are born into this sort of um, like warehouse, farm factory type setting that never leave a cage, that never have Contact with a person that are never touched, and if they are, potentially not handled well by a human. Right. I mean, the, the, I just want to point out the, the sort of severity and the really for people to get what, the, what is actually happening to these dogs from babies. I mean, they're, they're kept in such horrible conditions. They're raised in this way, and it's actually, impacted how they are wired this isn't something that an adult dog goes through a traumatic experience this is like from birth they're they're experiencing this environment and that's why it's so hard for these dogs to get over it or why it takes so long like you said they've never walked on grass their brain has never actually experienced that scent like the the paws have never felt that sense the brain has never processed that information ever
0: so they're not wired Sadly, they very often have never walked on a flat, solid floor. Period. Right. Um, they do. They do this. Uh, uh, you know, little dance to try to keep their feet from slipping through the wiring. And when they get on just a simple solid floor in a household, that will scare them.
1: Yeah. Um, when you talk about, you, you mentioned before about this sort of um, that there wasn't. That you saw a lower occurrence of aggression, and that that may sound like a good thing, but it's actually because the dogs are just sort of so checked out. and i um, I worked with a puppy mill rescue dog. I was telling you off air about her briefly. Um, she was a breed a former puppy mill breeder, and these you know lovely couple, you know, just angels, such sweet patient people, adopted this dog. They already had a dog that they had that they didn't get from a puppy mill. He was an older male corgi who was very confident, <laughs> um, and they adopted this dog. She was probably five or six. I think she was a Bichon, and she um, just sat on the couch. She, she had a blanket on the couch, and she stayed there all day and all night, and unless they put her out, she would follow this other dog around. She sort of showed some some interest in connecting with the other dog but had no, no even ability to, to relate to the people, and you know they would let her out to go to the bathroom she would eat but her funk the level of her functioning was so minimal and she you know they're just kind of checked out and they mm-hmm. had a heck of a time even getting her to learn how to walk around the neighborhood i mean we're talking about you know teaching a dog how to walk on a leash i mean this dog like you said has never walked on solid surface before likely so you know it's yeah, something that well. we take so for granted
0: well, yeah, and, and the thing about moving a dog from a puppy mill into a home is that there's not one thing in that house that they're familiar with. They don't know. They've never seen furniture, carpeting, a clear glass window. That's completely weird to them. Uh, a ceiling fan scares them uh, out of their wits. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they are in an absolute foreign world, and we don't really quite get that because none of us have ever been through that. But it is horrifying, and and again, a lot of them will adapt and come along quite well, um, but others do have the struggle, and they just don't deserve that.
1: Yeah. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Frank McMillan with Best Friends Animal Society, and they've just recently published a study that they did conducting research on dogs who— were former um, breeding dogs in puppy mills. And puppy mills are these sort of large, oftentimes large, large-scale commercial breeding operations where the dogs are just kept in cages and, you know, in worst cases have dirty water. If, if water at all, the food they have is moldy. If they have food at all, they're not getting cared for. They're sick and sometimes mistreated by the people who are, you know, there. So this is a study that was just released, and it was done, uh, Dr. Frank McMillan was the lead researcher uh, on this study, and it was conducted through Best Friends Animal Society, studying the psychological trauma um, that puppy mill breeding dogs show. And these are dogs that are, uh, we were talking about what exactly puppy mills are, and that they're these sort of large-scale uh Sort of factory farming of dogs, so these commercial breeding operations where the dogs are kept in small cages with very little space with often with other dogs, you know worst case scenario, dirty water or no water at all, moldy food um you know they're not taken care of their vet- veterinary needs not taken care of, et cetera so um Dr. Frank Mcmillan is the lead researcher of the study. And a director of well-being studies for best friends and um, so dr. Frank welcome back to the show
0: thank you Julie
1: and um, so you you were able to connect over 1100 dogs or connect with the people who have adopted over 1100 dogs formerly used for breeding and puppy mills and you were able to get some information from them about how these dogs are behaving and it's sort of what these people are noticing from these dogs now that they've been taken out of the puppy mill environment and are in, uh, you know, loving homes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you talked about the, you know, very, very high levels of fear, uh, the low levels of aggression, but that not necessarily being a good thing because the reason is because the dogs are just so shut down. Mm -hmm. Like they're just not even they're so overwhelmed by their environment that they're just not even participating enough to experience fight or flight. They're just kind of frozen. And that's what I saw with the the dog that I worked with several years ago that I can recall the most clearly. She was about five or six and she just laid on the couch and didn't move all, you know, day after day after day after day, just didn't participate in life. Um, what did you now you were able to get some information in this study and you have another study coming out that I'm looking forward to hearing about as well which is actually done with the puppies who are adopted from puppy mills is that right
0: well, yes, although uh, we can't necessarily in the, in the study claim they came from puppy mills. What we studied was dogs that were bought through pet stores, which just statistically is a near certainty that they came from a puppy mill originally.
1: Was it 99% you said?
0: Well, yeah, it's just a hard number to nail down uh, because you can't study it. People don't label themselves puppy mills. Pet stores will claim they don't buy from puppy mills, um, so it's a little sticky. But we know that pet stores, by requiring literally millions of dogs a year, have to be getting them from the large-scale breeders. We also know that small-scale breeders that care about their puppies do not sell them through pet stores. No. So you add up all those things, and you come up with only one conclusion, and that is pet store puppies come from puppy mills until proven otherwise. Right.
1: Um, so so you were able to get some information in this study that's been published which is about the psychological trauma that that these breeding dogs show now are these uh w- what was the ratio of male to female dogs in this study
0: we had about 65 60- Five. I forget the exact number, 65% uh, females, um, mm-hmm. which is very consistent with the fact that females are the overwhelming uh, numbers in puppy males. In fact, I was a little surprised that we had as many males as we did. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, females far outweigh males in terms of numbers.
1: Okay. And um, did you notice uh, any difference in the results from the males versus female dogs? No. Okay. No, we didn't. Interesting. Um, So what you were able to get some information from the people who are now living with these dogs and working to rehabilitate them, which I think is just, you know, the job of an angel. Um, What did you find people said seemed to work, you know, seemed to work and, and what seemed what didn't work in trying to make these dogs more comfortable or to sort of bring them out into the world?
0: Right. What we did on the follow-up questionnaire is we asked them, uh, of all the things you've tried, what was the most effective uh, in helping your dog overcome his emotional difficulties? The follow-up question was, of all the things you tried, what was the least effective? And then a third question um, was, of all the things you tried, did anything cause harm and cause a setback? And what we found on the most effective, the number one thing by far was, being patient, not mm. pushing, letting, letting them go at their own pace, uh, there's just no way you can avoid that. If you try to push them, they just don't have the mental capabilities to be pushed. So they'll, they'll either not react at all or shut down even more the most, uh, now that's not really something that I regard as doing meaning that if, I, if somebody said what do I do with my dog <laughs> right, nothing. It, it being, yeah, being patient is not doing. The one thing though by far and away is the best thing to do is to have another dog or more in the house and the reason is multiple one is the dog uh, that you take in can model their behavior after the dogs that you have. A lot of people told us that their dog learned how to play by working with the other dogs Mm. where they wouldn't respond to the person right off the bat. The modeling, the other thing that they see is they see how the how the other dogs react to humans, and they pick up on the fact that the humans are not something to be feared, and right. so they they break through a lot faster that way. And then the one thing that's sort of my hypothetical, but I, I'm I'm sure it's act it's an activity, or I'm sure it goes on. And that is when you take a dog like this on in one on one with no other dogs, the pressure on that dog on that one on one interaction with the human that's always talking to them always addressing them is too intense yeah but if it's diffused out among all the dogs it's just like the child in the in the in the classroom if you're by yourself it's like terrifying right. but if you're with all the other pupils it's a lot easier there's no pressure yeah. and so that's what's almost certainly happening here is they don't have the pressure um and we, we also know, and you may know this, Julie, that we used to think the best place to put these dogs was in households that were quiet with no other dogs. But we found that's the worst thing. You want to have them in with other dogs. Now, of course, we're talking friendly dogs, sure. compatible dogs. Right. Um, but the point is, is that that is just by far and away the most effective thing to help these dogs overcome their emotional troubles.
1: Did you have any of your participants who, who gave you information? I mean, what sort of stands out to me is that, like what you just said, if if having another dog uh, basically as a role model for, for these dogs to kind of relate to, um, you know, that that dog is a dog that you would want to basically clone if you could, you know, that yeah. this is a dog that doesn't have trouble. Did you have any participants who had more than one puppy mill breeding adopt I mean it seems like the worst thing that you could do is have multiple dogs all from the same situation so that they're just feeding off each other
0: now, that's a very good point, because whenever you're trying to work with psychological trauma and emotional problems, if they do, uh, if they can retreat with each other in their own world, that's harder for them to advance from, and that's a very good point. But, we, but in answer to your question, there are a lot of people uh, who have uh, more than one, and in fact, we found out a lot of that when we asked on the second questionnaire, would you adopt another puppy mill dog? A lot of people answered, we already have. Yeah. Um, and so um, the point is, is that you, you're right. If you have puppy mill dogs with puppy mill dogs, their chances for overcoming are not good because they see the other dogs being fearful of people too. Right. So you need the model that is completely confident and comfortable with people to show that people are not a threat.
1: Mm-hmm. So what, So you had some other statistics, what didn't work and what caused harm?
0: Well, and what's interesting here is there's an overlap. Um, What we found, just to give you an example, a lot of people mentioned that the most effective thing they did was petting, touching, and holding their dog, and yet on the second question of what was the least effective, a lot of people will also rate that high. Not the same people, of course, but different people. So we found that, and also socializing the dog. A lot of people told us that taking them to dog parks or sitting out in front of Petco and having them meet people was the best thing. Other people described that as the absolute worst thing. It made their dog worse. Mm. So what I did with all this information is I compiled a list of things that were uniformly beneficial, like having other dogs uh, and being patient. But there's also things that can be done that can either help or actually cause a problem, and those are the kind of things that if you institute them and you see any kind of problem, you you got to know from what we've learned here that you got to stop that right away and try other things. Right. So there's an overlap on the things that work best and work least. Um, and, uh, and, and and it is it seems a little confusing, but if you know that going into it, it's actually pretty easy because you know what to look for and what to hold off on. Like having a training uh, uh, training or having a trainer come over worked best for some people, worked horribly for others. Yeah. And so every, as we all know, all these dogs are individuals and they're going to respond uh, to different things that are done.
1: Right. And that doesn't surprise me at all because that's the case anyway with dogs. I mean, I've said that, you know, I don't even know how many times on the show in talking about training and behavior is how important it is for anybody with a dog that's just wanting to do anything from basic training to behavior modification if they're working with aggression or anxiety or fear or anything like that is that every dog is different and that what works for one dog isn't necessarily going to work for the next dog and that people really need to find and if they're going to work with somebody professionally that to work with somebody who's going to be able to look at every dog as an individual and, you know, develop a program that's going to work best for that dog as an individual and not try to fit every dog into one type of training. Right. Yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and, you know, it's just it's, you know, interesting that you would say, well, that worked great for, you know, the, certain dogs and then. No, that actually could and it not only not worked but actually made it worse for other right. dogs yeah
0: That's exactly what happened. were, yeah. there,
1: were there any things uh, did you say, any things that made it um, across the board worse?
0: Yeah. Um... And uh, the one, uh, well, two things. One is the opposite of what worked best, meaning that when you push and insist that they're moving ahead out of their comfort zone, that is always a failure. The other thing on a similar note is anything scolding, discipline, or raised voices is the worst thing to do. These dogs are just terrified. And if you try to command them into, you know, uh, uh, well, uh, without using names, certain techniques of domination type right. things. It's 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 a horror. Uh, right. I mean, it makes them it makes their world far more miserable than it already is and you you won't see an advancement. So yeah. those are some of the things um that stand out uh, prominently on uh, things that either don't work or cause them to regress.
1: Yeah. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We're talking if you're just joining us with Dr. Frank McMillan who's with Best Friends Animal Society. Uh, Dr. Frank is the lead researcher of a study that was just recently published about the psychological trauma caused to uh, puppy mill breeding dogs. So we're going to talk more with Dr. Frank when we come back from break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Host at DogRadioShow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioShow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait,
2: dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, psychotherapist Karen Canning returns with her latest psychological strategies for outsmarting overeating. Whether you're a healthcare provider helping patients or secret binger, We'll share seven strategies for long-term health and fitness. Join us Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and follow Vicky on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair. And on Facebook, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair.
1: Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's S-T John Creamery.com. your dogs will love you for it
2: real people real life real radio alternative talk 1150
0: and now back to the dog show with Julie Forbes
1: Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, and we're back talking with Dr. Frank McMillan with Best Friends Animal Society, talking about a study that was recently published that he was the lead researcher for about the psychological trauma that puppy mill survivors show once they are placed in homes. And we're talking about dogs who were the breeding dogs in puppy mills. And a puppy mill, if you're not familiar is a large commercial operation, oftentimes large scale. And this could be dozens to hundreds to thousands of dogs, depending on the the type, um, where these dogs are basically just kept as breeders, you know, in, in, to mass produce puppies, to feed pet stores and to sell online, etc. And the conditions that these dogs are kept in are unacceptable. Um, you know, worst case scenario, Dr. Frank, is that these dogs uh, have only ever walked on wire, that they have to be careful that their paws don't fall through, that they have dirty water, if any at all, that the food, if any at all, is moldy, that they're dirty, they're sick, and they are cramped uh, space wise, and that they never have any sort of interaction with people. And if they do have interaction, it's not favorable. And they don't have any environmental stimulation. I mean, this is just insane that this goes on in this country. The fact that, th- that, we even have, that we even have puppy mills that are USDA approved. If I was the USDA, I'd be embarrassed because I wouldn't want my name. I mean, you know, it's the whole state of everything else. I mean, we could talk about chickens in the same manner. But so, um, Dr. Frank, you um, were the lead researcher for a study that measured the psychological trauma that, that you were able to, to, to measure in, in these questionnaires, you were able to get in touch with over 1,100 people who had adopted these breeding dogs. Right. And, um, you know, so if you've missed any part of this interview, you can find us online. If you go to DogTalkShow.com, this interview will be archived on the website, and it will play from the website itself. You can also download us for free off of iTunes. Um, So we're also a free audio podcast. So If you missed any of this interview, you can you can catch up then as well. Um, So in talking about puppy mills, it's clear to both you and I and probably everybody listening to this show that puppy mills really should not exist at all. But how do we make that happen?
0: Well, the the first thing is is the clearest of all, and that is don't buy pet puppies from pet stores, and tell everybody you know the same thing. That, of course, uh, is the demand end because as long as they're being purchased, basically the money gets sent back to the puppy mill operator with a big thank you and keep it up and. Uh, Fill the spot I just bought this puppy from, and you raised. By the way, a, a perfect analogy, and that is the laying hens in egg farms. Um, they're ba- basically they're stuck in cages, producing a product that's shipped off to market. And when people buy it, the animals stay in cages. That's exactly what goes on with the puppy mills. So anyway, uh, the pet store. Um, Uh, option uh, you just shouldn't buy from pet stores there's a lot of other alternatives everything from shelters to breed rescues if you're looking for a specific breed there is a breed rescue for every breed you can get not only good uh, dogs but dogs whose personality is known so you'll know whether it's a good fit for you or not um and then uh and then there are private breeders the breed the ones that breed in very small numbers one or two breeding females breeding once a year instead of twice In their own home, these puppies are raised with intense socialization, um, so they come out uh, very well-rounded, and their brains are formed for good social interactions, Um, and so that's another avenue if somebody's stuck on purebred. But that, um, that's all to, to uh, minimize the demand. The other things, as far as getting reforms and or uh, shutdowns of puppy mills, and by the way, our stance is that the conditions for dogs for breeding should be a good quality of life. If that can be done through some kind of reform, so be it. If, uh, if it can't be, then the places ought to be shut down. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the way to do it, of course, is to uh, get active like you always hear about any other issue. And that is write letters to the editors, write to legislators uh, uh, pointing out that this is just absolutely unacceptable that we are torturing dogs uh, to produce the puppies. And as you, Julie, you said, you said yourself, there's so many dogs needing homes and that are being put to death now. It's insane that these numbers literally are, or these dogs are being pumped out by the millions um, to meet a demand that could be met in other ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you know how many Puppies are produced every year from puppy mills.
0: You know we don't, because uh, there's no uh, there's no statistical accumulation that makes a lot of sense. State by states do it. All we know is there's millions. There are thought to be tens of thousands of puppy mills, um, but the numbers are really hard to nail down.
1: Yeah, or how many puppies are sold through pet stores every year?
0: Well, even you know, oddly enough, even that's not regulated because the USDA will only regular will only keep count of the ones that cross state lines to be sold so all the ones that stay in state that are sold either directly out of the puppy mill or even through a pet store don't get counted and so we we can't say okay this number of dogs is sold by pet stores across the uh, across the nation we just know that it is in the millions um, and beyond that we can't really nail Mm.
1: it you know I did have you heard of Kim Sill she's the founder of an organization in California called D cups saving teacups
0: I've heard of the group. I haven't heard her name.
1: Oh, I did an interview with her probably a year ago, something like that. And, man, she has got it. She is doing some amazing work actually getting in and communicating with the pet store owners, bringing them when they're willing. And some of them are bringing them to shelters and showing them what the current state of affairs is when we're talking about, you know, all of these homeless dogs and dogs that are getting put down and all this sort of thing. And she's actually converted a number of pet stores that used to source from puppy mill-type situations. She's right. got them now working with shelters.
0: Wow. I that know. is great. Yeah, yeah.
1: Kim still for president. That's what I said when we were... Uh, <laughs> When, when, during that interview, but you can find that interview um, on uh, archived on iTunes and also on our website, which is DogTalkShow.com. You can learn more about uh, Best Friends Animal Society. Their website is BestFriends.org. You can also find them on Facebook, and I have added Best Friends Animal to Society to our Facebook fan page. So if you search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, you'll find our our fan page And I have just, we're in the process, or we've just sort of been going through the process of slightly changing the show's name, Uh, was formerly the Dog Talk Show, is now the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. I am unable to just change the name of the show on Facebook, so I have started a new page. And so if you are a fan on Facebook, be sure to like the Dog Show with Julie Forbes, because the Dog Talk Show fan page will be going away, and we would hate to lose you. So Stay with the pack and like us on Facebook, but you have to go to the new page and click the like button that's actually on that page to become a fan of the new page. And that's The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And you can find Best Friends Animal Society on Facebook as well. It's under Best Friends Animal Society. Well, Dr. Frank McMillan, I would love to have you back when your results are published for your other study that you did um, about these puppies
0: yeah absolutely yeah yep
1: and thanks so much for the work that you that you do and the uh, you know the awareness and education that you're spreading I think it's one of the most important issues when we're talking about dogs and society is this issue of puppy mills and overpopulation so thanks so much for the work that you do
0: yeah thank you for having us on Julie
1: all right thanks so much for your time today and uh, thanks for listening to the dog show with Julie Forbes
2: Been listening
0: to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes Wednesday afternoons at two on Alternative Talk eleven fifty a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at DogRadioShow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.